Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 30 of season four, and this is the final episode of the season, except that, as I told you last week, in a couple weeks, I'm going to release a special episode. It's going to be a birthday episode. I am, it's been two years since Historical Fiction Unpacked began. It was my pandemic project, and it is still going strong. And I'm so thankful for all of you listeners and the way that everything has turned out over the past two years. And so I'm going, I'm, I now know, we now know what the plan is for the birthday episode. And I'm so excited, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what's happening because I think it'll be more fun if it's a surprise. So make sure that you tune in. Um, do not miss that episode when it drops in two weeks. Now, friends, today I have a conversation to share with you that I I want to say I love this conversation. It, I really did love it. I think it's a wonderful conversation to end the season with. I spoke with Elena Gorakova back in March, um, and we talked about mostly about her book, A Train to Moscow, which released in March also. Um, but she's written two memoirs. She is a Russian immigrant to the U.S., and she has just a fascinating story. Um, and I really enjoyed speaking with her. I really enjoyed her sp- perspective on things happening in Ukraine and Russia now. And um, I do give a little bit of an update at the end of the episode after the interview, just because this episode was recorded at the end of March, and now it's August. So I wanted to kind of check back in with her thoughts and feelings about how things are in that part of the world right now. But Elena has so many interesting things to share with us, and I want to get right to that. And I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Elena Gorakova. Elena, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Alison, for inviting me to be part of your program. Your debut novel, A Train to Moscow, released March 1st. Can you tell me about this book? Yes, uh, it's um, set, the novel is set in Russia, uh, in Russia behind the Iron Curtain during and after World War II. And it is, um, in a nutshell, it is about a rebellious girl from the provinces who strives Mm -hmm. to become an actress against her family wishes. And in that journey, she must battle oppressive politics of the Communist Party, an enigmatic lover turned political censor, and the buried secrets of her own family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it is really about the conflict between the truth of art and the official deluge of lies that uh, Soviet Russia lived by and that all Russians, including me and my family, had to live with. Mm. Uh, and it is also a love story. It's a love for a man, for the arts, and a love for truth. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I did, I I read the first few chapters, and I just, I love books about Eastern European history. It's so fascinating to me. So, but I understand there's a story behind this book. Can you tell me what that is? 
Well, <laughs> um, it, it is a, it, it is my first novel, and um, yes, but you've written other you've written um, memoirs. I've written two memoirs, and yes. uh, that was before uh, before this novel. I the first memoir, A Mountain of Crumbs, uh, was about growing up in Soviet Russia in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. And the second one, Russian Tattoo, was about my years of culture shock in the United States. After, mm. after yes, after I arrived here, and I, yeah. yeah, I came here when I was twenty-four. Um, I moved to the United States carrying one suitcase with uh, twenty kilograms of what used to be my life. I. I Arrived alone. Um, my mother and sister, all the sisters, stayed behind, and uh, so the second memoir is about this. Uh, you know, trying to find your place, my place, or as an immigrant in in this brand new culture. And of course, you know, I I did arrive from literally behind the iron curtain. Uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about the West, about the United States, um, because all the information was. Uh, blocked uh mm-hmm. and uh and you know i i went through a lot of uh as all immigrants do i went through a lot of humiliations and uh mistakes oh, yeah. <laughs> that i now laugh at looking back but of course at the time they they were not funny so so that's that's the second memoir russian tattoo and after I've exposed myself completely. <laughs> I felt like I exposed, I exposed every detail of, of my life uh, in Russia and in the United States. I wanted to um, to tell the story of my older sister, and this is mm-hmm. basically uh, it's it's not her story because it's fiction. I, I made most things up, right? But this, but her uh, her strive. To, to become an actress, her growing up in the in a provincial town in um, in Russia during and after World War II, then her years in studying at at a drama school in Moscow, these are all real. Uh, and I wanted to to tell her story. I I was also fascinated with the process of acting. Um, I grew up in Leningrad. She was a prominent actress in uh, at a repertory theater in Leningrad, where we lived. And I grew up as a teenager backstage that theater. I was fascinated. You know, it was it was it was as glamorous as it could be for me as you know as a child. Right, I'm sure. <laughs> and of course, I also wanted to be an actress, but even then, I knew that I couldn't. I didn't have the, the talent for that. But mm. but I. I I lived as much as I could. I I spent as much time as I could uh, in that theater, in her dressing room, behind the stage, behind the curtain, and that um, that theater with all its uh, you know makeup and 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 posters and 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 actors um, was mine as much my theater as it was hers. And right. I wanted, and later I, I just wanted to to incorporate it in, into the book, into the novel. And the process of becoming someone else was always fascinating to me. Uh, how do actors do it? And because, mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm not an actor and I don't viscerally understand it. And my sister does. 
and she was a very she was a great actress i thought and she was mm-hmm. she was a prominent actor in russia wow and i couldn't uh you know because it was so visceral to her i wanted to to understand it and to explain it and sort of to to write it in the book what 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 the training was like what the process is like she helped me a great deal um i talked to her uh, she tried to explain it to me as much as she could um and i also took some acting classes later just you know just recently in new york at yes hp studio uh of course i never got past level 2 i'm surprised they elevated me to level 2 from level 1 <laughs> <laughs> but but it was it was valuable it was a very interesting experience uh right. and i think i learned a lot and i tried to put it into the book so so that's the, that one part of the novel is the acting part and the training for to become an actor the other part was really family history mm. and uh i used my family history as as inspiration and a lot of it is a lot of the a lot of things that are in the plot that are pivotal in that novel um is what happened to my family uh, oh. it's the the time the time after the war during and after the war in russia was the time of of fear really it's it was the time of stalin's purges it was the time of gulag labor camps right and every every family every everyone knew of someone executed or sent to the northern fringes of the country and my family was was not an exception um, my mother's uncle was arrested for telling a joke. He was sent. Oh. It, it was it was a silly joke. It wasn't even a political joke. Yeah, that was in the book. I, right, I right, right. Yeah. Well, he was sent to a labor camp, and he never returned. So that part is true. Um, right, and and also the my mother's two brothers were killed during the war. Um, and one of them was an artist, just like Sasha's uh, mm. Sasha's uncle in yes. the book. Um, he died. He he did not survive. So that was uh, something that that is uh, fictional, uh, right? But I I thought I asked myself, what if what if he hadn't died? What if he had, yeah. had gone all the way to Berlin? So there are things in the setting, in in the characters that are part of that come from my family, right? Oh, that's so interesting. And you have, um, I mean, you have quite a life story. You touched on it that you, you know, you grew up in Soviet Russia, and I'm just amazed. I think you show this what what it was like in Soviet Russia in a train to Moscow. There are the long lines for necessities, um, you know, for purchasing things and the secrecy, like the the fact that Sasha, your protagonist, she has to keep her uncle's journal hidden. It's it's like she knows that um, what he wrote would not be because it's truth, because he wrote the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she can't reveal the truth. Yes. Um, yes. And then how, how revered Lenin was. Um, almost canonized. I mean, <laughs> canonized is a good word. He was canonized. Yeah. It, it's right. You know that 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 scene in Moscow uh, at 
when they were standing in line to see Lenin's yes. mausoleum, to see his body. He, he, he's never buried. He still isn't. Um, and, and that, that was, uh, that was something that was almost sacred. Nobody could say, right. yeah, nobody could criticize, God forbid, criticize the government or criticize communism or criticize the, um, what you heard on the radio, the official news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- there were truly two entirely parallel realities. And that, you know, that those realities, different realities existed when the novel is set after the war, and they existed when I was growing up later in the 1960s and 1970s. Um, right. It was, you know, one one reality was that everything is fine, everything is excellent, and the radio tells you that every morning we are fulfilling five-year plans and we have the greatest harvest of this, that, and the other. And <laughs> and then the the real reality when when we would go into stores to buy some, you know, essential foods, there, there would be very little on the shelves. Um, there would. And now I am this. Maybe may show my ignorance regarding this, but why was there such a shortage of food and and other items that you needed? Yeah, well, it's uh, I you know I guess it was because of the five year plans and mass production. Everything mm. everything was decided in advance, at least five years in advance, what would be produced. Okay, and and the 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 focus was on um, heavy industry on producing military. Uh, you know, defense systems, uh, arms, right. arms and weapons, and space. You know, space that that race, space race, also yes, was very yeah. expensive. And people's needs and uh, food and uh, you know everything and clothes that was the the least priority for the government, I think. Mm. So maybe that right. was part of it too. Um, and then also because communism as a system, you know, it's the, the Bolshevik Revolution was in 1917. And uh, the war, of course, you know, caused a lot of destruction and a lot of death. And then there was this uh, very, uh, there were efforts to, uh, you know, to renovate and to rebuild, of course. And and right. and they did rebuild uh, cities and, and um, that I'm sure took, a lot of funds, you know, government funds. Yes. So, so, you know, food was was not very important. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. Um, partly, I'm sure there are other reasons. Um, just just the reasons because it was so top centered. Everything, all the commands, all the uh, planning came from from the top, and there was no um, possibility for local governments to decide what they needed. Right. And it, it is a huge country. It is it it has eleven time zones. <laughs> so it's hard yes. to rule it from the top. Yes, absolutely. And and I was looking at your website and I found this phrase kind of buried in your bio about your mother, born three years before the Soviet state. Um, she became a mirror image of her motherland, overbearing, protective, and difficult to leave. So I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yes, yes. Well, my mother was uh, 
was a generation of enthusiasts who believed in communism. She stopped, mm-hmm. she stopped believing in it toward the end of her life. But oh. when she was young and when she gave birth to me, and I, I was a very late child. I was born when she was 41 or 42 years old. Okay. Uh, so she was much, much, you know, we didn't, we were very different. Our ages were very different. We were from different right. generations. And she really believed, uh, she was, you know, her generation believed that um, they were building something better. They were building something for all the people, not for just, you know, the top uh, royalties or, you know, they had the czar before before mm-hmm. Lenin came to power. Um, so she wanted, and she was a doctor. She went to medical school. Uh, right. She worked, uh, she was a surgeon at the front um, until the end of 1942 when my sister was born. She was demobilized after her birth. And she, mm-hmm. she, she, she wanted to make things better. She believed what was told on the radio. Um, so she was, in my mind, a mirror image of my motherland because mm-hmm. uh, she was also very, she was a survivor. She survived the famine. She survived Stalin's terror. She survived the war, World War Two, and yes. and she 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 was uh, this you know very very tough, uh, very uh, strong person. Um, she was uh, also very stern and very strict and very unbending in many ways. And in that respect, she was very much like Sasha's mother in the novel, in this latest book, A Train to Moscow. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not, maybe she was not as severe as Sasha's mother, Mm -hmm. but she was was pretty strict um, and difficult to leave. You know, it was very difficult to leave the Soviet Union. Right. I only left because... um, I met an American and I officially got married to to that person. And that was on the books, although I was labeled as a traitor by everyone who I dealt with before I left. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but they allowed me to leave. It was very difficult to leave. So, wow. so in that respect, my mother was like my motherland. It, it was mm-hmm. this almost the same, you know, some of the things that she shared with, with the country, she was, she went uh, sort of hand in hand with what the country told us or what the government told us. And then, and then later when she um, came, she joined me in this country when my daughter was born in the United States, my mother came here and lived with me until she died Wow, and that's when she realized that her whole life she had been lied to. Oh wow! When she, you know, when she saw how people really how people live in the West, because we, yeah. we were told uh, in the Soviet Union behind the Iron Curtain, we were told that the West is rotting, and these are the exact words: decaying, rotting. And mm. uh, the West is going to fall, and everyone will be, uh, you know, will become uh, 
will look to the bright dawn of mankind, which is communism. And uh, mm. we were told about how you know poor people are in the West, and there are very few rich people, and then the rest of the population are poor, and how they lived on the streets. And so my mother, when I left to uh, Russia, when I came moved to this country, my mother literally thought that I would be living on the street. Wow. Um, and when I said, no, I'm not living on the street, and I would send her pictures of my house that my husband and I bought by then, she, you know, little by little, she realized that she that all she heard her whole life was a lie. Wow, that must have been so difficult for her, I would think. It was, it was. It was. And, and especially, you know, because she was a doctor, she was in the medical field, and then she, later she taught anatomy um, at a medical school in Russia. When she came here, she saw American hospitals, and especially when my daughter was born, she was with me. Mm-hmm. And she could not believe how, uh, you know, in Russia, this medical system is was back then and still is... Um, very rudimentary. Um, yes. And when my mother saw an American hospital, she that, I think that's what did it finally for her. That that was that gave her this realization that uh, that all her life she she didn't really know what was happening. Oh, um, so how did you know? How did you see the cracks in? the narrative that you were given? Uh, well, maybe I was I was a dif- different generation, and my generation in the 1970s especially, um, it was already the time of stagnation. It was, Brezhnev was um, the head of the country, and he was, mm-hmm. um, he was um, this, you know, he was very old and, uh, and he had slurred speech, and nobody really took him seriously. Um, he was a figurehead. And right. by then, little by little, it's not the country wasn't opening up yet uh, when I was living there. It started opening up with Gorbachev in the 1980s when Gorbachev came to power his, with his policy of perestroika and glasnost or openness. And he allowed to to have uh, books, certain books that had been banned before, he allowed them to be published. And that was the time, the first time when um, Dr. Zhivago, for example, was published. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when Solzhenitsyn was published, his wow. Gulag uh, Archipelago. Archipelago, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and a number of other books that had previously been banned. So, um, so that was a time of, of openness. That's when the country started opening up, which led e- eventually to the downfall of communism in 1991. Right. But the time when I was growing up, um, it was not uh, the time when my mother was, was young or even when my mother was, um, was living after the war. Uh, it was after Stalin's death. See, I never lived under Stalin. Stalin died in 1953. And right. um, after Stalin, uh, the the country opened up a little bit with Khrushchev. Uh, 
um, when Khrushchev exposed in his secret speech in 1956, he exposed the uh, the system of gulag camps that mm. millions of Russians were uh, branded enemies of the people and were sent to labor camps where many of them died or others were executed. Um, so Khrushchev exposed that in 1956, and there was a brief period of uh, thaw. That's what it was called, thaw. Um, okay. It was a little more liberal. It became a little more liberal, and certain books were published, not many, but a few. And people felt that maybe this is the beginning of of opening up. But then Brezhnev came to power soon after that, and in in 1960s, and the the screws were tightened again. But mm. I think by then it was too late. It was sort of, you know, there was no Stalin, the gulag was closed, there was no, um, the, the repressions were not as harsh as they used to be under Stalin. Yeah. And people began to question things. And this is what my generation was. Okay. We, uh, that was one thing. And I think another reason for me was because I, I was learning English. I, I majored at the university, majored in English at the University of Leningrad. And those people who could read and speak English, we had a little bit of access to those books that were smuggled over the border in English. And mm. we, we were able to look at some Western magazines that were smuggled in uh, and read, if not, you know, contemporary books in English. But some books that that were that would never be translated into Russian, right? So there was this little um, window, I think, that, that that we had into the West um, that allowed us to question what we were told, and that allowed us to think that maybe you know because they are lying about everything else, that maybe they are lying about that too, right? <laughs> um, and and by then, I think we all knew that we were lied to. At least mm -hmm. my generation did. Right, right. So that in combination with being able to read English, I think sort of gave us a little advantage of knowing that, if not knowing exactly what the West was like, then knowing that it was not what we were told it was like. Right. Oh, it's so... Um... I mean, it's fascinating and, and so amazing that you got out and came here, even though you had, you know, such a little part of your life in that, in that suitcase. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, what a hard, hard way to begin, but I'm sure, I'm sure you can see some um, benefit to your life ha and the, the strength that it took you to come here. Well, yes, the benefit is that I'm not there right now. <laughs> right. I was just, yeah. I, just, <laughs> and you were so, I was just thinking how strong you were to to leave in spite of all the, the things against you. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. It, was, it wasn't easy, but it's not easy for any, any immigrant. And it doesn't mm -hmm. matter where you come from. It's um, when 
when people come from any foreign country to resettle anywhere else, and particularly in the United States, it is um, it, it sort of it gives you a split soul if you want, because uh, right. yeah, it's just there is this wound that never heals because you always carry with you your life and your country part of of yourself when you were growing right. up when you were when when you know when you were forming because of all all of those who come as adults were formed in a different place and that doesn't yes. yeah that doesn't go away and and it is it is a wound it's a wound forever it's a scar that never heals um but i i just want i don't know if 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 you want me to to talk about now what's happening there now Actually, I was going to ask about that if you wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, I understand that that might be difficult too, but but if you would, go ahead. Yes. Well, it's uh, uh, it it's back. Russia is back to the USSR, and that happened mm-hmm. literally overnight. Uh, yes. Repression started. The Iron Curtain fell. Um, the two parallel, entirely different realities have come back. And mm. and one reality is that there is no war. There is a military exercise. Nobody is dying. Uh, Russia is not bombing cities and civilians. Oh and that's what people are told on television and on the radio. And, and all television channels have been uh, taken over by Putin over the years. Mm-hmm. Putin has been in power for 22 years since two, wow. yeah since the year 2000 and during those years he has very gradually taken away um independence from journalists uh taken away uh liberties and freedoms from from his citizens and uh he has killed journalists over the years. He has poisoned his opponents, as we know. Mm, yeah. He annexed um, Crimea, which was Ukrainian. He um, made inroads into eastern Ukraine uh, by supporting the separatist movements. And um, now he finally got into a hot war. So it was mm-hmm. all, you know, he prepared his, I guess, he prepared his people, brainwashed, I should say. He brainwashed Russians. Um, yeah. And then when the war started, after the war started on February 24th, all the alternative um, sources of information, independent sources of information, since then have been blocked overnight practically so wow there is nothing that uh is legal in russia that people can see or listen to that is not government propaganda so how do they i mean i i guess i'm so spoiled with all the information that we have access to here Mm -hmm. how how do they keep with the internet how do they keep people from finding out other sources yeah well, the people have those people who want to get on the internet can with a special. There is a special piece of equipment. I'm told that mm. uh, if you connect it to your device, you can get on the internet and get mm-hmm. get real news. And those 
people who um who who question the news do that and all my friends uh can get on the internet um right but uh the majority of people i'm very sorry to say the majority of russians have been brainwashed they mm-hmm. do not they they get on with their lives they do not want to know anything else um they're just back to back to what was when i was growing up wow the, and 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 to me it is um and to i think to many in the west it is a mystery why wouldn't you try to find out why why would you believe the government and yeah. and i think the answer to that is um basically the fact that russia has never known democracy mm. never they there was democracy between 1991 and 2000 when putin came to power there were nine years of democracy which looked extremely chaotic very difficult yeah. economically when people there was a um the there was a money reform and people lost their life savings uh mm. overnight it was a very difficult time um right so that's what people and that's what that people, was their only experience with democracy exactly that was their only experience with democracy then putin came to power in 2000 and promised stability and he's still running on that uh right on stability on we are the greatest russia is the greatest you know it's this mm-hmm. imperial imperial delusions and para- yes. paranoia <laughs> but but that's what it is and and i it's it's it makes uh, it breaks my heart my you know I, yeah, i'm sure i have friends in ukraine and russia Mm-hmm. and my friends in ukraine are sitting in bomb shelters in kiev oh my goodness and my friends yeah. in russia have been taken hostage to this imperial paranoia um and a lot of them have left a lot of russians have left mm-hmm. they they can leave for georgia and armenia which do not require visas mm-hmm. so a lot of people left for those two countries that used to be soviet republics but now are separate countries right uh so it's it's a terrible time and i i just i just hope that um somehow it will be resolved although i don't know how i really don't right, right. Now. i know this must be incredibly difficult for you i can't even imagine it is yeah i'm sorry i'm curious Well, first of all, you have written two memoirs um which I'm interested in now that I've been reading your your novel. But um what are you working on next? Do you have plans for more more books? <laughs> um I'm working on another novel um and it it may be a total mistake. Um because I, you know, this this novel took me a long time um mm. because I I really I had never written fiction before and fi- right. fiction and non-fiction are completely different. Of course, I mean it's so obvious, but <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I I know. But I, but I, you know, I guess I didn't know it or I knew it but only cognitively I I didn't know it viscerally. And um when I when I presented the the first draft of 
of this novel, A Train to Moscow, to my agent. And of course, it wasn't the first draft. It was, for me, it was maybe draft number 17. But for her, <laughs> for her, it was first. When she read it, she said, this is, this is not a novel. It's a memoir. Oh. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> and I took it back and I really dissected it and, and changed things and, and put in different plot lines. So mm-hmm. it, it took a while to figure out how to write a novel. And I hope I learned certain things, but I don't want to be too cavalier. But despite all that, I'm working on another novel and um, it is, it, 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 it's too early to talk about, you know, okay. anything particular in particular, but it has to do with banned books in the Soviet Union. It's, oh. it's set later in Russia, but later in time in the 1970s, and and it's about banned books. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so I have a question I ask all my guests, and it probably relates a lot to our discussion about what's going on in Russia right now. But how do you think learning about history through story, through a memoir or through through a novel, um, helps us approach life in the present? Mm. Well, um, unfortunately, a train to Moscow is it's it's a it's a repeat of history what's happening mm-hmm. in russia now is exactly a repeat of what russia was like back then in yeah. the times of post world war 2 under stalin it's not even it hasn't even gone back to to the time i remember in the 1960s it's gone back to earlier times to stalin's times i really believe that the way that mm. that the repressions right now that um, you know, people just for saying war, just for holding up a blank sign with nothing on it, people get arrested, and wow. in in yeah. in Russia right now, just for mm-hmm. holding a flower on the street, people get arrested, uh, and they the new law says that anyone who um, questions the government propaganda and says that this is a war can be given up to 15 years in prison. Oh my goodness. So far 15,000 people have been arrested in Russia. They're waiting awaiting verdicts, uh, trials. Wow. Um so this is in my mind unfortunately this goes back to Stalin's times. And yeah. the next thing Putin ha- will have to do is resurrect the Gulag because It's, I mean, I, I, because that's where it's going, I think. So, to answer your question, unfortunately, history repeats itself and nobody learns anything, it seems. The leaders at least don't. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So, there is, I see, I see this unfortunate and tragic connection between the time uh, of this novel, where the novel is set, and the time that Russia. Uh, is in today. Yeah, I'm sure. Do you ever do you ever see um, echoes of Soviet Russia in anything in the U.S.? I just sometimes I I think there are so many <laughs> divergent <laughs> views, and and some people feel that there's a you know a narrative that we're supposed to accept that might be different from some of what's actually going on, and I think that can happen with any it's any kind of government, but 
Go ahead. It's true. Yes. Well, I I see it in in the disinformation that yes. that that we've been you know uh, swamped with um, <laughs> this this thing. And you know, look at this country. Where, when you say, well, why why when when Americans might, may ask why wouldn't Russians go on the internet and get that that uh, special device that allows them to go on the internet and stop watching all this propaganda. Well, I mean, in this country, we have access to anything, any source of information. Right. And some people, there are there are plenty of people who still believe uh, untruths and, right. and falsehoods that are obviously falsehoods, but people are adamant that, no, 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 these are the truths. So, mm-hmm. so it's, unfortunately, they're parallel, I think, in that respect. Yes, yeah. Interesting. And um, I hope, I I pray that by the time this episode comes out, that there is some resolution in the situation with I do hope. Ukraine and Russia. Oh, Alison, yes. I certainly do hope because uh, it, it, it's it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch the news and to watch, yes. to watch uh, civilians and children die and being bombed. It, right. It's just incon- unconscionable, but that's what Putin is. That's you know his KGB background <sighs> hasn't failed him. Right, right, yes. Well, um, Elena, this has been a wonderful conversation. A wonderful. I want. I don't know if I should say wonderful. It's been fascinating, interesting, <laughs> good to hear your perspective on everything and. Um, I just, I want listeners to be able to follow you. So can you tell me the best way for them to follow you? Well, I have a website. If mm-hmm. if you uh, Google my name, it will bring you to the website. Um, I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter. Okay. But that's all I think from, you know, social media. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I know it's, it's hard to keep up with it. You just. It's true. It's true. Do it. True. Do what you can. Otherwise, you don't have time to write. <laughs> Absolutely true, Alison. Thank you for pointing that out. And and th- thank <laughs> right. you. And thank you for your insightful questions. Oh, well, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate this. Thank you. It, it really has been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So I know you guys enjoyed that incredibly insightful conversation. I did want to share, as I promised, some of our updates as of now in Russia and Ukraine. From Elena's perspective, Putin's imperial intentions and his repressive methods of punishing those against the war have not changed. Uh, From what she reads and hears, the majority of Russians are trying to live their lives and tune out the war because not much can be done in terms of protest inside Russia, aside from leaving the country. She says that Ukraine now has more sophisticated weapons provided by the West that allow them to reach um, Russian targets behind the front lines. And also that Putin has reached out for help to Iran and North Korea, two very questionable allies for the head of any country to approach. Unfortunately, many lives have been lost on both sides, not to mention millions of refugees to satisfy the insane ambitions of one dictator. Obviously, this is not usually a political or news show, but I thought that that perspective of hers was um, very relevant to our discussion from March, and I wanted to make sure that I kept it up to date for you guys. So on that note, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, although parts of it obviously are very disturbing and sad. 
Now, moving on, I know that this season is coming to a close, but I will be back and I'm still producing material. So I still need you to help me um, promote and support Historical Fiction Unpacked. And there are a few ways that you can do that. So the first way is, of course, by following or subscribing to the show on whatever your favorite app for listening to podcasts is. So once you do that, you can also leave a review. Um, A five-star review would be great. It does not have to be long. It doesn't take much time, but it does bring attention to our show and puts it in front of other lovers of books and historical fiction. So that would be two very easy, quick, free ways that you can support the show. And then you can also follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked, and you can join the Facebook group, which you can find by searching Facebook for Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group, or you can get to it from the show notes, which can be found at alisondreet.com slash blog, as well as in your favorite listening app. One more thing, if you would like to support the show with your pocketbook, please go to patreon.com slash alisondreet. That name needs to be spelled correctly to find it on Patreon. It's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So patreon.com slash Allison Treat. And you can also get there from the show notes. I have it linked in every episode. I have some great perks for my patrons. So make sure you check that out if it's something you would consider. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Elena's books and also to more information about her and ways to follow her. Now to close our show, I want to share a few quotes from Vladimir Lenin, which are a bit chilling. The first one is his words, the goal of socialism is communism. And next, he said, give me just one generation of youth and I'll transform the whole world. So my friends, keep that in mind. Pay attention to history and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again in a few weeks. 